0: Praise God for all the people who have led us in worship today to be with the graduates and their families. Um, Given Noel's absence, we're going to push pause on the prophet sermon series just for this week, but we know that uh, he's at home watching, Dana's at home watching, his children are at home watching, Jesus is watching, no pressure. We're going to thematically stay within this season of Eastertide, and we're going to talk about resurrection today, the most dangerous idea in the world. Now, since 2009, some of the world's leading thinkers and culture creators have gathered at an event to publicly discuss the most critical challenges facing humanity. And this gathering has an awesome name. It's called the Festival of Dangerous Ideas. And several years ago, the moderator posed this question to a panel of thought leaders. Which dangerous idea has the greatest potential to change the world for the better? And to the surprise of many, one of the panelists, journalist and author Peter Hitchens, said this. The most dangerous idea in the history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and rose from the dead. Because resurrection is a dangerous idea today, and it's been that way from the start. So this morning, we're going to look at a scripture passage from the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus himself confronts this dangerous idea. And for Jesus, this is not an intellectual inquiry or merely food for thought, because resurrection is the foundational premise of the kingdom that he brings. And so this passage takes place in the final week of Jesus's earthly life as he proceeds towards the cross in his own death and Jesus occupies the temple in the middle of the week and he begins to preach and it's the last time that he will publicly debate the religious leaders who have grown increasingly hostile and violent in their opposition to him and while he is teaching in the temple he is challenged by the Pharisees excuse me the Sadducees so it's important for us to know who the Sadducees are The Sadducees were the leading priests and the elite of Jerusalem. They were the educated, the influential, and the affluent. And they sat in a relatively comfortable place in the natural order so they didn't have much interest in the spiritual dimension and the spiritual order. They didn't believe in angels and they didn't believe in the resurrection. You might call them rational materialists, and in that way they are very much like modern people, very much like some of us. And the Sadducees confront Jesus with a loaded question. It's a riddle that's designed to embarrass him and demonstrate the implausibility of the resurrection. And it's not a real question that seeks a real answer, it's an argument that assumes a conclusion. But nevertheless let's listen to the question and see how jesus unpacks this dangerous idea and then let's listen to how jesus invites them and us to have our imaginations disrupted and renewed so that we can embrace the kingdom that he brings but first let's pray lord god you alone are the word And you alone have the words of life. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us as we're gathered here today. And speak through us as we are scattered in the world this week. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And we pray all this in the name of the crucified and resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is how Matthew describes the encounter. The same day, some Sadducees came to him saying, there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question. Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies childless, his brother shall marry his widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died childless, leaving the widow to his brother. The second one did the same so also the third, down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman herself died. In the resurrection then, whose wife of the seven will she be? For all of them had married her. Let's just stop here for a second, because some of you just got shocked awake because you heard a suggestion that you may have to end up marrying your brother-in-law or your sister-in-law. And you're thinking to yourself, what on earth is this guy talking about? What is happening here? That's a fair question. The Sadducees are discussing the Jewish custom of leveret marriage. It arises from a Mosaic teaching in Deuteronomy 25 that if a married man died without leaving an heir, the dead man's brother was duty-bound to marry the widow and produce an heir. In that way, the man's family, his land, and his name would live on and his widow would be taken care of. And the Sadducees are saying that if the resurrection means that you could end up in the kingdom age with seven brothers married to one woman, then the resurrection makes no sense. I mean, there's a host of questions there. Whose wife will she be? Where will they live? And how will they handle the awkward Thanksgiving dinner? But their entire argument is based on a flawed assumption. And that assumption is that life in the kingdom age will simply be more of the same. That it will be a permanent continuation of the way things are in this age. And this is how Jesus answers. He says, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, people neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not what read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is God not of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowds heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. So first of all, I think it's important to know how Jesus speaks very clearly in this situation to the Sadducees. Sometimes it's difficult to understand Jesus. This is not one of those times. You are wrong. You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. And then Jesus graciously subverts their entire argument. To begin with, he makes a very sharp distinction between this age and the age to come. Because when the new age arrives, when the kingdom comes in all of its fullness, there will be a comprehensive reordering of all things. All categories of existence and all relationships will be thoroughly changed. For example, Jesus says there will be no marriage in that age. He didn't say that we wouldn't know our wife or our husband if we're married but that even our closest relationships will be transformed. Jesus also says that the redeemed will be like angels of God, but note that he doesn't say that we will become angels because angels are a completely different category of being. And that's part of the point he's making here. In the resurrection, we too will become different kinds of being. Then Jesus pivots and directly confronts and affirms the reality of resurrection, making his case to the Sadducees from Scripture. Now, in proving that the resurrection was a biblical idea, there are several very clear texts that Jesus could have referred to. For example, the prophet Isaiah said about the kingdom age, Your dead shall live, their corpses shall rise, those who dwell in the dust will awake and shout for joy. And similarly, the prophet Daniel said, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. But the Sadducees only accepted the first five books of the Bible as authoritative. So Jesus has to point there, and he does. He points to the story of the burning bush in Exodus 3 and in that encounter God said to Moses in the present tense I am the God of Abraham who was ostensibly dead the God of Isaac dead the God of Jacob dead but he's using the present tense and that makes no sense if all of those people are going to be permanently dead after all God doesn't say I was their God he says I am their God now to us who are really unfamiliar with this line of argument to begin with that may not resonate but you need to look at the text because to them it was extraordinarily compelling because the text notes and they were astonished at his teaching. Now at this point you may be sitting there saying great I understand this weird passage a little bit better than when we started but what does any of this have to do with any of us? And that is a completely fair question too. And actually it has a lot to do with us because first we need to lean into what Jesus is saying to the Sadducees because there's a little bit of them in all of us. For the Sadducees having earthly influence and earthly power made them have very little interest In God's supernatural power and because they were thriving in this age they didn't have much concern for the next age particularly if it meant that things around them and things within them were going to be radically disrupted and so just like the Sadducees we often mistakenly assume that the coming kingdom of God will simply sanctify the status quo but resurrection is the reality that changes reality, both in this age and the next age. In the kingdom, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And that's not the way to be great in this age. Jesus is enthroned as king of the coming kingdom because he lived and died by saying, Not my will but your will be done and that is not the recipe for success in this age because God's ways are not our ways and the way of Jesus the way of the kingdom it's not natural it's neither traditional nor modern it's neither conservative nor progressive it's not rational It's not commonsensical because the way of Jesus is utterly unique. But importantly for us, it's also utterly open to us. If we have the faith-filled imagination to see it and the faith-filled desire to submit to it. And that's the first reason this story should be important to us. And second, we should recognize that leveret marriage was one of many ancient attempts to manage death, to keep it at bay and dull its edge. Now, it may seem to us a weird way to do it, but modern people like us attempt to accomplish the same results, we just use different methods. Decades ago, Ernest Becker wrote a Pulitzer Prize winning book called The Denial of Death. And the thesis of that book was that humanity is deeply afflicted with the fear of dying, and as a result, we frantically attempt to avoid the reality of death. And our denial and avoidance take many forms. We can use religion to do that. Or working out, or taking drugs, or having surgery, or compiling wealth to leave a legacy, or surrounding ourselves with a big family so our name lives on we can use any number of strategies to fend off the inevitability of death to avoid its sting. But here is the thing, those schemes don't work. Whether it's leveret marriage or making an enduring name for ourselves, we can't manage death. And when we try to do it, we are being practical Sadducees, living like we don't believe in or see the necessity for, or acknowledge the reality of, the resurrection. We cannot cheat death. We cannot run from it. We cannot escape it. The only way out is the way through. Death must be overcome. Death must be defeated, and we can't do that. But as Jesus stands in the temple in this week between the triumphal procession, and Easter, that's exactly what Jesus is poised to do. Jesus wants the Sadducees and us to be wide awake and wide open when he goes to the cross and rises from the dead because he wants us to recognize that those events certify what he is revealing here. He's opening a way for us to enter the new age and experience the inbreaking kingdom through his death and his resurrection. Jesus is the way to the new age, and resurrection is the hinge that opens the door for us to follow him there. Resurrection is the reality that changes reality both in this age and the next. And when we put our faith in Christ, that power flows into us now. The Apostle Paul prays it this way. He says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And perhaps because of that prayer, Hitchens said this at the Festival of Dangerous Ideas. Resurrection alters the whole of human behavior and all our responsibilities. It turns the universe from a meaningless chaos into a designed place in which there is justice and there is hope. And therefore, we have a duty to discover that justice and work towards that hope. It alters us all. If we reject it, it alters us all as well. It is incredibly dangerous, and I think history proves Hitchens right. Consider the Apostle Peter. After Jesus was arrested, Peter was so fearful that when he was confronted by a teenage slave girl, virtually the most powerless person in his world, he was so terrified that he denied even knowing Christ. And yet after experiencing the risen Christ, Peter found himself preaching boldly in the same temple complex to the same people who murdered Jesus. What got into Peter? The resurrection got into Peter. Consider the Apostle Paul. He was a man who persecuted Christians, who mocked them, imprisoned them, and even helped kill them. Yet in the space of several days, he went from a person who denied Christ to a person who poured out the rest of his life preaching Christ. And Paul explained himself this way. He said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So what happened to Paul? The resurrection happened to Paul. Consider Dietrich Bonhoeffer as a German pastor and theologian in the 1930s, he quickly became the leader of the Christian resistance to the Nazis, even while many churches in Germany were supporting the regime. He was the first public Christian to condemn the Nazis' oppression of the Jews. And when the Nazis came to power, he took a pastorate in England where it was safe and sound. But he voluntarily surrendered that pastorate to return to Germany to lead the Christian opposition to the Nazi regime, and he died for it. What made him so courageous? The resurrection made him courageous. And now, consider yourselves. The question isn't whether you're made of the same stuff as Peter and Paul and Bonhoeffer, because you are. You're made of the same frail, weak, humble, human stuff. The question is whether we are seized by the reality of the resurrection like they were, because the same risen Jesus who called them, calling us, the same risen Jesus who promised to be with them, no matter what, promises to be with us, So the question really then is, what's stopping us from being dangerous like them? Resurrection is not a dead concept that's entombed in the Bible. It's a living reality that we can experience by faith. And when we're filled with the dangerous power of the resurrection, we too can become dangerous. Dangerous because our identity is secured by Christ So we're not looking to the world to tell us who we are. Dangerous because we can be faithful rather than fearful. Dangerous because we're willing to look foolish in our following of Christ. Dangerous because we're filled with the spirit of God and not the spirit of this age. Dangerous because we've been sent by the Prince of Peace and the Lord of Justice into a violent and unjust world. Dangerous because we're willing to stand for others and serve others because we know that Jesus has already stood for us and served us, dangerous because we carry the world-changing good news of Christ's overcoming love to a hurting and hungry world. Church, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave to unleash resurrection power so that all of us. All of us could be this kind of dangerous. Amen.